Now, if you've been here today and you were, you're visiting amongst us, you might be thinking, wow, these people are weird, okay? We can be a lot more weird than what happened this morning, I can assure you, right? And, um, but uh, I, I think we want to admit we're weird. Um, but, you know, when you encounter the living God, weird things can happen. So if, if, you, if you posit, if you would theorise with me that there really is a God, then the possibility that, that something, there might be something weird about worshipping him would follow logically. Now, of course, in modern Britain, it's quite taboo to talk about questions of faith or anything like that. Do you agree? It's, uh, you're really, you're not, it's embarrassing. It's, uh, it, if you raise it at a party or when you're at the pub with somebody, You've, you've got to be, uh, not always, but sometimes you've got to be a little bit careful how direct you are or how you raise these things. And it's not, we, we mustn't be bound into fear by that, though. Do you As Christians, we must not be bound into fear because the early church would say things like, you know, well, whatever you say, we must preach Christ. And this must be uh, our uh, conviction as well. But the trouble is that there's something about our culture has rather disarmed us because, because what, there's not just a taboo about speaking about these things. But there's a kind of natural resistance to anyone who's really enthusiastic about it. Because if you're really enthusiastic, well, you're just odd, right? And so what we've learned is that we have to be kind of rather non-enthusiastic about telling people about our faith. Because if we're too enthusiastic, they think, oh, they're really weird. And so, but, but, and then I think there's a danger that people we're talking with, our relatives, our friends, our work colleagues, can think, well, their Christian faith doesn't really matter that much to them. They're not that passionate about it. And, uh, but I want you to know, if you're visiting here today, well, it actually really does matter to us a great deal. When you hear these men and women, you don't know which ones are the Christians and which are the visitors, but when you hear them praying, you'll find that in their heart they are longing that you as their relative or friend would come to faith in Christ and that you would know him and that you would be weird like them. Um, and right, We don't want you to be weird, but we do want you to know Jesus Christ. And so it's always a brave decision to come to church and to see how Father might want to realign our lives and to use us. And so if you're visiting here today, you might feel that you were, you come to look in, you'd like to watch, but you hope nobody knows who you are. And the truth is we probably haven't particularly noticed, or we might have done, and I hope you felt really loved and welcomed. Um, but there was a man, I'm going to read a story in a minute, from 2,000 years ago, who wanted to see Jesus. He was seeking to see Jesus, but he didn't want to be seen by Jesus. And I think that can be true of many people. And, uh, you know, we, we have shops these days. In the old days, when you went into a shop, the shopkeeper was, was on you. It's, if you visit a Middle Eastern, North African country today and you go into the souk or the market, the moment you get near a stall, the stallholder is kind of more or less steering you into his stall. And he's then throwing out this, you know, the bolster of material and then that one. And you're kind of feeling more and more obligated. You better buy something because of the sheer effort he's put in to showing you all these things. Whereas, of course, we don't like shops like that in, in Britain anymore. We've done away with shops like that. We want a shop where the shopkeeper just stays behind a counter and keeps out of the way. You can walk in, and if you don't want anything, you can walk straight out. And you don't feel obligated to buy anything. Is, is, am I, I'm telling the truth, yeah? And, um, and, of course, that's how, in a sense, many people in Britain want to look at religion as well. They want to come in and have a look, but maybe not get any sense of obligation. So... Uh, we have been praying with Alan Scott, Father, would you disrupt my life in a way that leads me towards the lost? Right? Father, would you disrupt my life in a way that leads me towards the lost? Kyla and Megan and Adele last night 
uh, answered that prayer, as it were. They went and did something that answered that prayer. And we want to gather together to a renewal and then be scattered servants spreading this gospel. So we want Jesus to feel at home in our meetings. And this passage I'm looking at, two weeks ago I looked at a passage. Uh, yeah, if we just have the next slide, which is open, it says the passage. Um, it's, um, so we've got Luke 19, 1 to 10, we're going to look at. And before I read it, I'd just like to, there's a, there's a map. So what we've got is the story. Here's Jerusalem. Jesus is headed up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, and he's reached Jericho. He's been coming down from the north, and he's reached Jericho. So two weeks ago, we looked at the story of the healing of the blind man. Do you remember Bartimaeus? And the crowd being really against Bartimaeus, who was shouting, he was making a terrible fuss. And what did the crowd, Jesus said, bring him to me. What did the crowd tell him? Do you remember what the crowd went and said to Bartimaeus? Cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you, right? So it's a great thing. So there Jesus was dealing with a man lost in his blindness and his uh, rejection as a person who was uh, disabled. And uh, at this, that same, about the same time, before or after, depending which gospel you believe, Jesus had another interaction with a completely different person. And um, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about Jericho. Jericho is um, actually uh, was, a, was a place where wealthy people from Jerusalem used to go out to for their weekends, and especially in the wintertime. So it was a, a place, it's a bit like St. George's Hill or Wentworth, if you know the area here, those are, you know, posh areas around here. And, um, or maybe people who go down to the coast for their weekend have a holiday cottage in Dorset or something like that. You know, it was, a, it was a, really, a really posh place to go. In fact, it was Mark Antony, the emperor Mark Antony, gave Jericho to Cleopatra as a gift. Right? The, the, really, that's really what happened. And um, it was a place that is one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world, it's believed. It's uh, 258 metres below sea level, 846 feet below sea level, because you know the Dead Sea is well below sea level. So, but it's got a rich uh, spring that delivers about a thousand gallons of water per minute. So it's a lovely oasis and it's known for its dates and its balsam trees. And so the Romans actually exported the dates. I love dates. Do you? Mm -hmm. Do you know, for years I thought dates was the sort of thing you could only eat at Christmas. Mm -hmm. But I've discovered they sell them all the year round. <laughs> and I, I'm eating dates every day at the moment, actually. <laughs> I love dates. So, so they're very... Uh, 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 and so it's often on my list for Elspeth to buy dates. And um, you can ask her. So... Um, it's, uh, so it's a balmy environment. The, one of the Jewish historians, Josephus, described Jericho as a divine region. He said it was the fattest in Palestine. It was a, it's, this, is, this is a really lovely place for people to live, and a lot of wealthy people uh, were there. So this is the place that we're talking about. And Jesus is, as I say, making his way to Jerusalem, knowing that at that Passover feast he would be arrested, he would be crucified, and his ministry would come to its fullness there. So let's read from Luke's 19, 1 to 10. It'll come up on the screen or you can watch it on, uh, look at it in a Bible if you have one or a Bible on your phone. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and welcomed him gladly with joy. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, we want to thank you for the accounts we have in scripture of all that you did and said. We find these accounts gripping, Father. They make the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. They, uh, they are so enlightening and enriching and we pray that today we might be changed by considering afresh this particular episode in your life, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Oh, so good. So, um, we look at these events because Jesus lived these events and we think he's the son of God so whatever he did is something remarkable and is something that is life-giving it's transforming it can shape and call us in a different direction now these stories have a kind of plain meaning we might often think of stories like this these are Sunday school stories we might feel but they have profound meaning and understanding a little bit more of the culture can make the meaning even plainer for us you see, in those days, a community, you know, in Eastern cultures, people are very hospitable and welcoming. And a community showed its respect for any famous person passing through uh, in, in a very particular way. When they heard that famous person was approaching, they would, some of the community would go out along the road to meet them and to escort them into the town. And then some who hadn't gone out would be preparing a banquet. They would have found... A, a, a fattened calf to kill and they would be preparing a banquet to honour this person as they arrived in the town. And this was a commonplace in these cultures and it would be probably today still in Eastern cultures. And of course this created an opportunity to show rejection for, for a person you did not like. And so we read uh, earlier in Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, and I've got the slides for it. Um, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Luke 9:51, Jesus resolutely, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So this is at the beginning of the journey that once we get to Jericho, he's almost at the end of. And uh, it says there, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So if you're a famous person, you actually organize this. You know, when my grandmother turned 100, we had to write to some address so that she got a, a birthday card from the Queen, right? You've got, you have to go and ask for it. You don't just get it automatically. And uh, so, so he sends people ahead. And, uh, but he says, the, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. These people spurned Jesus. They did not send out a party to welcome him. They did not set up a banquet. And so there's then a conversation. The disciples get all a bit, you know, offended on Jesus' behalf. And James and John say, oh, should we call down fire on that village? And, um, and people actually often think Christians are call down fire people. But actually Jesus rebuked them for that. Because now we are called down mercy and love people, right? That's, that's what Christians are. Because in Jesus, uh, God has made a way for his mercy to triumph over judgment. Isn't that good? So 
this was, would, would, so this was an example, actually in Jesus' life, just a few months before, where he had been rejected. And, uh, but here, things are different. You know, in Western countries and Eastern cultures, these things vary, don't they? In our culture, we, um, we show welcome by inviting someone to, along to our home at a very specific time that we've agreed with them in advance in our diary. Is that, is that right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in Eastern cultures, as I understand it, you show welcome for people by turning up at their home unannounced. Right? We don't like it when people do that. No, we, I know we can live with it, but we prefer it to be organised. It's different in Eastern cultures. So uh, here comes Jesus and the people of Jericho had indeed gone out to meet him. Because when, whether you read the story of blind Bartimaeus or the story of Zacchaeus here, there are big crowds there. Agreed? So they definitely had gone out to meet him. Now we know there was a whole party of people went along with Jesus, the disciples, a whole group of women and what have you. But this was a much bigger crowd. So the town had come out. And we can assume therefore that some of them had also prepared a banquet. Okay? So here's the banquet and, and there they are. And then we get to this passage then. You know, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He was ignoring the banquet. That they'd prepared a banquet and he's ignoring it. He's just passing through. And uh, so the, the people would already have been a little bit miffed, really. You know, they, they'd, they'd, come, they'd gone out, they'd trooped along the road with Jesus, celebrating this famous person, and, and then he's just going to pass through. He's not going to stay the night. He's not going to honour their town by eating their banquet. And so they'd be a bit upset. Uh, and then the story just moves quickly on, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and uh, he was a chief ta- tax collector, and, uh, and he was wealthy. Now, you've got to understand, in the Roman Empire, that tax collecting was privatised. Now, some of you might think that'd be a good idea, because you've had dealings with HMRC. But, um, th- you know, it's a bit like rail franchises. You know, the, 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 the companies bid to have a rail franchise, don't they? They say, we'll pay you, the government, all these billions of pounds if you give us 10 years' use of the... East Coast Main Line or something like that, and we'll run all these trains on it. Well, that, that's how the Romans organised tax collecting. People would go and bid and say, OK, you, if you, Roman, Empire, uh, Roman you know, procurator or whoever he was, if you give me the right to collect tax in the Jericho area, I'll give you so many talents of gold at the end of the year. Okay? And then all they had to do was collect even more, and the difference was their profit. Okay? That's how they got wealthy. So they, they would screw the people harder in order to meet. And obviously the, the Roman authorities would welcome the highest bidder, wouldn't they? So the person who was most confident about screwing the most amount of tax would be the one who would win the bid. And uh, these systems are often open to abuse. And of course Jericho was a plums area to get, wasn't it? Because it's a wealthy area. So you, the, the opportunity for getting money was big in Jericho. So, so, so he, was, he had really scored well, right? He had lucked out. He had bid enough to get the rights to take the tax from the Jericho area, the, possibly the richest area in that, area, in that whole country. So, um, uh, but it's, we're told here that he, uh, that verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Right? This is, so this is Luke uh, 19, verse 3, so going back up some slides. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He, literally, he was seeking to see Jesus, who he is. He was seeking to see Jesus, who he is. Now, longing is a crucial step in the change process. 
So um, near the end, I've got a, a triangle diagram. If you could jump to that, possibly, and then we can jump back to this. So t- to change, changing involves all these three things, right? Longings, language, and lifestyle. He had a longing. He had a longing. He, he was seeking to see Jesus. This, that's a good longing to have, yes? And as we see through the story, we'll see how his language then matches his longing and then his lifestyle needs to follow. And there's some kind of virtuous interaction of all these things. If you want to change, then your longings need to change, your language needs to change, and your lifestyle will change, okay? And so these three things play together. But back to the text, uh, if you don't mind, Phyllis, to to, to verse 3 there. So he had this longing and... uh, he, uh, uh, you might say, now, why would he have this longing? He's, he, he, why would Zacchaeus have this longing? Undoubtedly, he must have heard things. We know from the rest of the, all three Gospels, I think, record that people complained that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? They complained about it. So maybe he'd heard people complaining, call that Jesus, he's a friend of tax collectors. Because tax collectors were not liked people, right? And just in case you haven't picked that up. Right? And so, and Jesus actually quoted these complaints. He says, people say, I'm the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he didn't uh, dispute that. And not, not more than that, there are several occasions it's recorded when he ate meals with tax collectors and sinners. And that was seriously bad news because to, 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 these people were regarded as unclean, impure, defiled uh, as Jewish people because they were Jews. They were collaborators. They were people who were, who'd sold out on their Jewish heritage and were collaborating with the Romans. And so to, if you went in their house, if you ate with them, you were defiled like they were, right? And Jesus had done this several times. And Zacchaeus must have heard those stories as well. And Jesus had actually just told a story. If you read back in Luke 18, Jesus had just told a story in which a tax collector was the hero. Right? He told a story in which the tax collector was the hero. Now, maybe Zacchaeus had heard that one as well. And so something had stirred in this guy to think, this Jesus is different. I wonder, I'm interested. And so he was seeking to see this Jesus, who he was. Wouldn't it be wonderful in our day and age if people were hearing things that made them think, I would like to seek Jesus. I would like to seek to see Jesus, who he is. Because I've heard that he likes people who gamble. That he eats with people who at smoke, that he, um, he gets with people who've been the victim of sex abuse or something like that. Or maybe even that he eats with people who've been sex abusers. I mean, what is the worst kind of people that, that we think we have in our society? Well, this guy Zacchaeus was in that class of people who were most rejected among, um, among those classes of people. So no wonder... Zacchaeus was probably pretty isolated and lonely. He had a lot of money, but nobody liked him because he was basically squeezing them all for tax. So he was not liked. But he heard something and he thought, maybe Jesus would be willing to be my friend. And you know, he, he wondered, and we can say for sure that is the case. Because it was a complaint of Jesus that he was a friend of tax collectors. And that it was a complaint because he really was 
a friend of tax collectors. Alan Scott says, people who are looking for God don't look like they are looking for God. Right? And so we must be so careful not to judge a book by its cover. Zacchaeus maybe didn't particularly look like he would have been an interested person. They probably would have judged him and said, oh, this Zacchaeus guy is so rich, he's a collaborator. What interest would he have in, in the Messiah? But he did have an interest. And so even though he was seeking to see, however, Zacchaeus could not see. There were obstacles in his way. And there are very often obstacles in our way to seeing Jesus of one kind or another. And the first one that the scripture tells us about is that he was so short he couldn't see over the crowd. Right? He, was, he was very short. And so often in children's Sunday school things that he's pictured as being quite uh, fat actually and short. And, and um, why does he have to be fat and short? But who cares? Jesus might have been quite stout. We always portray Jesus as being thin, doesn't he? But maybe he had a bit of weight on him. I just throw that out there. And um, so he wasn't tall enough. But also there was a crowd and the crowd would not have been friendly to Zacchaeus. Agreed? So in fact, if he got out in a crowd, that might have been a good opportunity just to give him a bit of, you know, a bit of a rough time. Do you know? So it would have been a bit dangerous even to kind of stab him and kill him. But... um, so he had to avoid that. But Zacchaeus was not a man to let these difficulties put him off. And so even though the crowd made it difficult, this, this, the apparent insiders, the people who were all a part of the in crowd in Jericho made it difficult, he nevertheless overcame those obstacles. And if you have an interest in seeking to see who Jesus is, I want to say to you, you might have to overcome some obstacles. You might have to adjust your diary to get along to church maybe regularly, to come to the place where, where, where people talk about Jesus, the, where there's other people who are looking at Jesus. And I want to tell you it's worthwhile. So people do actually make great efforts to look at Jesus. And how did he do that? Well, he had to get ahead. He had to run ahead. He knew Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and so he had to run ahead. Now, let me just say, we know that a sycamore fig tree would not have been in the town itself. The Jewish Mishnah, their, their, their oral law that was written down, specified that, a, that you could not have a sycamore fig tree closer than, I think it was it's so many cubits from the edge of a city. Um, uh, forgotten that, 50 cubits. So it's about 75 feet, 20, uh, just over 20 metres. Uh, they had to be at least that distance from the, the town itself. So this was not in the town. So he, he must have run ahead out, out of the town because Jesus was passing through Jericho already. That's where the crowd was at that stage. So he's run out of the town on the Jerusalem road. He's got ahead to find a sycamore fig tree. There are trees which have branches that grow out quite low down, so quite easy to climb actually, and they have a lot of leaves, so there's plenty of hiding inside them. And, uh, but of course, Middle Eastern, in fact, most grown men don't run. You very rarely, now of course, these days, we see lots of people in lycra running around, don't we? But, but apart from that, you don't generally see grown adults running around in the street, do you? Is that, is that true? And, and, I, and I'm told that in, in Middle Eastern culture, it'd still be, it'd be it's, it's quite a, a sort of, it's not the done thing to run around, okay? And, 
then he has to climb a tree because he's wanting to get up above the crowd so when Jesus passes he can look down on Jesus but also be hidden. But even, even climbing a tree, climbing a tree is not something... I mean, if Theresa May climbed a tree at this European summit, I want to tell you that would be headline news, wouldn't it? I mean, it really would be. And because people would think, whoa, how odd is that? Okay, now I know there are some people who like to hug trees and stuff like that. And of course, if Paul Emberton or any of the guys that work with Paul climb trees, well, that's their job, you know, so that's, that's fine. But, but for most of us, climbing a tree, that's, especially if you're like wealthy, a high status person, that is a little bit of an odd thing to do. do you, yeah, do you understand? So Zacchaeus is showing incredible um, endeavor in wanting to see Jesus. Right? He's willing to do things that would cause him shame in order to see Jesus. I want to tell you there's a lesson in that. There, 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 are, there are things we might have to do to see Jesus that we might be embarrassed about. And if we're going to let embarrassment keep us from encountering Jesus, then we have a problem. Right? And our embarrassment keeps people from a lot of things, a lot of good things. Embarrassment keeps people from making connections in relationships because they don't risk saying, I love you. That's stupid. We are robbed of good things because of our stupid enslavement to embarrassment and the fear of embarrassment. God wants us free from that. And people who will press through to encounter God must be free of that embarrassment. So, uh, because it's incredibly important that we encounter Jesus. It's just incredibly important. It is, it is, it's not enough to know about him. We must meet him. And so, um, now of course, by going up the tree, he was, I suggest, hoping to see and not be seen, which a lot of us like to do. It's why we have net curtains. I know probably not all of you do have net curtains, but they're very much a thing in Britain. You see, you go to other countries, they do not have net curtains. We visited Holland some years ago. They don't have net curtains in Holland. Often they don't even have curtains. So when it gets dark at night, you feel that you're like in a goldfish bowl and everyone's looking in at you. And, it, and somehow I felt, it, you felt colder somehow. You know, you wanted nice upholstered curtains to shut and make it feel cosier and warmer because I'm brought up like that do you understand and but they had they didn't have that kind of thing and they only live across the channel you know so things are different aren't they 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 vary and um so the um you know he wanted to see but he didn't want to be seen and um it's nosiness, isn't it? Nosiness wants, is, is non-reciprocal. I want to know about your life, but I don't want you to know about mine. Right? I want your stuff exposed to me, but I don't want to mutually disclose anything about me. And it's very guarded. It's, it's, there's something untrusting about it. And so there he is, hidden up in the tree, thinking, got ahead of the crowd, I'm going to get a cracking view here. I don't know, have any of you had maybe something, an opportunity to see a sports event or a a flying display or something and you found a really good place to watch it from and you feel dead chuffed and you feel, I'm clever. And you're feeling really, you know, um, really uh, just the bee's knees, you know, get your whiskers and preen yourself. And so he's sitting up there nice and pretty and feeling I've really got a good spot here. And a bit uncomfortable on that bit of that 
joint in the branch, but I'll cope with that or whatever. And then Jesus comes along. His plan is working perfectly. Jesus is going to pass right underneath. It's good. I'll really see who he is, see what he's talking about. I'll be able to hear, you know, as he passes under. And, uh, And then what do you know? You know the story. We've read it already. Jesus stops right there underneath, looks up straight at him and says, Zacchaeus, I mean, this is, this is a supernatural encounter moment, isn't it? There are these times when, when uh, just something happens and people, uh, and some of you have experienced, people in the church have experienced things where we feel God speak to us about somebody that we meet, maybe give us a name or the item of clothing they're going to be wearing. I know, Steve, you've had these kind of things. And you go into a shop, and we sometimes call this treasure hunting, where you, you sit and pray and you ask God for that things. Then you go into the town and you find someone who's wearing that red coat and you say, is your name, uh, you know, Joanna? Oh, yeah, it is, you know. And, then, and God's given you that stuff so that it can actually happen literally like this. And, and so that, super, that willingness, so being scattered servants sometimes takes a little bit of deliberate opening of ourselves to God and praying to him, Father... Would you give me a divine appointment today and, and would you even give me a little bit of a seed of something that would open that person up? Because when Jesus stopped, looked up at him and says, Zacchaeus, don't you think something like um, he was hoping to watch and for Jesus to be exposed to him, but for him to be hidden and suddenly, boom, he's exposed, isn't he? And, and he's, he's, he's shown to be this, this, I mean, he's this high status person and he's climbed a tree. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly he's exposed. But Jesus isn't laughing at him. Did you notice that? The crowd might be scoffing and muttering, but Jesus is not laughing at all. Jesus is just, it's just, the, it's just love for Jesus. It's just, I, I want to, Jesus just knows at that point, Father, he's got a design, a divine design for Zacchaeus that Zacchaeus doesn't know. That's what being scattered servants is about. It's kind of being open. I wonder what the divine design is for people that you're going to meet this coming week, that in the rest of today, tomorrow, this coming week, and how we might try and connect people to the divine design that our Father has for them. And Jesus was doing that that day for Zacchaeus up in that tree. And suddenly Zacchaeus is feeling such a sense of love that God, God knows me. God knows me. He called me by name. Do you remember like what Jesus said, the crowd said to Bartimaeus, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Jesus is calling you. And Zacchaeus was experiencing that directly, not the crowd telling him. Jesus actually saying Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And what does he say to Zacchaeus? He says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And that means, it actually means lodge at your house today. So here's Jesus Do you remember the people in Jericho, they've had a banquet ready for Jesus and Jesus walked past their banquet. They're a bit miffed. And then there's this wretched Zacchaeus, the one they despise. And Jesus then says he's going to stay in Jericho after all, because this meant staying the night. And he's going to eat a, a meal, but not at their banquet, with that wretched tax collector. And can you imagine how mad they are? And can you imagine how amazed Zacchaeus is? That all those stories were true. Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and he is willing to be defiled ceremonially by coming to his house and eating a meal with him. Aren't you going to be taken aback by that? And so he gets down 
out of the tree. Right? He said he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Right? He, he received Jesus there and then. Right? He received him with joy. He, 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 he does it with all of his heart. And because he's just so bowled over. Wow, Jesus. You see, and later on, do you, do you notice how Jesus says, this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus was announcing, you people have rejected him. You Jewish people have rejected him as, a, as an inadequate Jew, as a collaborator, as not fit to be called a Jew anymore. And Jesus says, no, he's a, he is also a son of Abraham. He's, he's announcing, no, I accept him as a Jew. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Isn't that so, you, Because you, you read that and you think, why, why would Jesus say that? Odd. Can you see what he was doing? It was incredible. It was such kindness shown to this man. And so, but the crowd, of course, are, are mad with him. But I think we must leave the rest of the story for next week. And what I just want to close down on is this, the importance of encountering Jesus. And I want, for many of us, we encountered Jesus the first time many years ago. And we might think, oh, well, that, that's, that's a box I've ticked now. You know, I, I did that. Friends, it's not just something you did. It's something we do, isn't it? It's something we hunger and thirst for ever after that first experience. You, you, it, like the first time you ate chocolate or roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, whatever it is, there's something wonderful about it that you would like to repeat, isn't there? And meeting with Jesus is something that we are able to repeat. Now, for us, he's not available in the flesh. He's not somebody we can touch. There, is, there isn't a place you can go where you can actually find and grab that Jesus and actually eat a meal with him. But he's present to us by his spirit. So that's a little bit more difficult for us. He's invisible now. Um, and he's mediated to us in that invisible way. But it can still be very, very real. And he invites us to eat with him. We call it breaking of bread or communion or various names for it. Do you despise that? Or like Zacchaeus, do you think, wow, he wants to eat with me. He wants to actually come in to defile himself by eating with me. Isn't that wonderful? Every opportunity we have to break bread, we should run towards it. You should think, wow, what a privilege that he would eat with me that he would be willing to be identified with me. That's amazing. It's stunning. And so uh, there's all kinds of ways we can keep meeting. Breaking bread, worshipping with other people. You know, when I'm on my own worshipping and singing to God, I, I find I can get very, very distracted by the siren call of the to-do list. Isn't that the case? It's, you just feel, oh, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. There's so much to do and it's like, it's so compelling. The to-do list is incredibly powerful force, an incredibly loud voice commanding, come and get on with your to-do list. Isn't that the case? I find coming together on a Sunday to worship with others is so helpful because in theory, I can dis- it, it, the, I, I'm too embarrassed to get on with my to-do list in front of you. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately, I can get my phone out and add to my to-do list, <laughs> which I have to admit happens. We get distracted. The to-do list is incredibly loud voice that wants to keep you from Jesus. Right? And 
we need to put, we need to be able to realize that Christ has authority over to-do lists. Christ has authority. He is a more powerful voice than your to-do list. Right? To meet, and it may well be that meeting with him will get more done than when you are busy with your to-do list. Right? It may well be that meeting with him gets more done than you being busy with your to-do list. Right? And while we're thinking what we can do to help more people find Jesus or to get more business in our business or to make sure uh, that we've organized this, that and the other, if we would meet with God, maybe some of that stuff would, have, would happen anyway. So I find it so helpful going and meeting with Jesus. But let's make sure we seek Jesus, not an experience. We can start to fall in love with the stories we've heard of other people's encounters with God. Friends, it doesn't really matter what anyone else had or experienced or didn't experience. It's just about you and Jesus. It's about your encounter with him. So please go and encounter him for yourself and and then sometimes other people have very dramatic experiences of meeting with God and those those can be lovely but we can be so threatened by those things can't we I can be so kind of threatened ah that person's meeting with God because they're laughing or they've fallen on the floor or or, or, or they've, you know, they, they, they were completely set free from their addiction or something. We hear the story. You know, if you've been around Christians long enough, you know these things. And we can get intimidated. We can become envious or jealous. We can get poisoned and in our own by all that comparison. And I just want to say, would you kindly be free from that? We, 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 when we give accounts of these things, unfortunately, we sometimes blow them up just a little bit bigger than they perhaps were. And those listening inflate them even more. And, and what does it matter if what someone else's experience was? My experience should be my valid experience, yeah? We've had a guy called Steve Cadd come and preach with us. He's an American, works in the Philippines. Some of you will remember them. And he tells a great story about how, as a teenager, he invented a testimony that he then started using. And um, we, don't, we don't need to invent. Surely the reality of salvation is good enough, isn't it? Now, you, and your experience of Jesus might seem quite ordinary. It may not be extraordinary, but thank God you weren't a, a criminal gangster beforehand, let's say. Their, their testimony might need to be more radical than extraordinary. Yeah, but w- whatever, it doesn't really matter. Don't, don't let's compare. Let's, let's come together. Let's meet with God. He, Jesus, is willing to meet with us. Come down immediately, he says. And he, Zacchaeus, came with joy to him. Isn't that good? He came with joy. And you've probably got other thoughts about how you can best allow Christ to enter afresh into you, to let his peace come, to let his joy come. You need faith. You need faith. That faith you had perhaps when you remember when you first connected with Jesus. Don't leave it behind. Use that same faith to keep meeting with him in your own prayer and seeing him active in your day, seeing him at work through your days. So I'm sure there's other ideas.
Zacchaeus was a man who was seeking to see Jesus, who he is. Would you like to stand? And, but Barney and Band, you might have a reprise of a previous song or something you, something you would sing to us. Before we sing, I find opening the palms to God is a good thing to do. I've noticed over the years when ministering with other people that sometimes people are all, they're all huddled over like this and they say they want to meet with God. They're crouched over, their shoulders are rounded and down and they're bowed down and their head is down and their palms are down. And there's something, you know, we, we're not, it's, your body is part of you, do you understand? It's not that you're a spirit trapped in a body. God made you a body. He loves bodies. Jesus has a body now for the rest of eternity. Right? And our bodies are a way of expressing something. So we need to look up for your redemption draws near, the scripture says. We, we should open up our shoulders. Get those palms up and lift our faces. Right? Look up. Your redemption draws near. Let him come to you. Don't... don't, don't you know, mercy triumphs over judgment. There may be something you're a bit ashamed about. Well, Zacchaeus had some stuff. We'll think about that next week. But he found he could just give it away to Jesus and he could be received. So we lift up. We, we breathe in in our chest. We lift up and we, we open the chest. We lift our head. And we lift those palms. It's a good way to receive. And whether you feel anything or not, He's promised to come to us with mercy, with kindness. So let it come to you, I pray. Mm.